Welcome to CropSense, presented by North Carolina Cooperative Extension. I'm Jacob Morgan, a field crops agent with North Carolina Cooperative Extension. Today, we have Dr. Wesley Everman and Dr. Charlie Cahoon to discuss herbicide programs and conventional crops. Good morning, guys. Welcome back. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Good to see you again, Jacob. This podcast is going to kind of center around conventional crops, but if we end up losing or don't have access to Roundup or Liberty or some of the auction herbicides, then I guess we'll be growing our crops conventionally as far as weed control goes. So as we talked about last time with uh, spring uh, burndown, and if you haven't listened to the last podcast, go back and listen to it. Uh, we talk about uh, burndown uh, alternatives if Roundup's not available. So I'd recommend anybody that hasn't heard that go back and listen to that. But as with any crop, we want to start clean, get a good burn down, and then if there's any weeds that come up before planting, we need to go ahead and try and take those out at planting or right after planting. And then I guess the next step to any good weed control strategy is going to be a good pre. So I guess let's start with corn, uh, Dr. Cahoon. Can you talk about uh, pre-herbicides? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you hit on one of the biggest pieces of advice that Wes and I have. Number one, start clean. And, and this is, again, more important if you don't have access to some of these uh, post-emergence products that we've been really relied upon for many years now, uh, or you're growing a conventional crop, you know, conventional corns or soybeans. And then, like you mentioned, a good pre-emergence is really going to be the foundation of any weed control program, but becomes a lot more important for something uh, like a conventional crop or uh, in the case of the situation we're, we're facing right now with, with supply issues with Roundup, Liberty, and other common post-emergence products. Those good pre's really do take the pressure off of what we need to do post-emergence. So if we have fewer weeds out in the field, we have fewer different kinds of weeds. And also if those weeds are smaller, it's just going to be easier overall to manage that system. Uh, and that all starts with a good pre. So looking at corn, and a lot of this advice is the same that I would have for a grower that's using Roundup Ready corn or uh, Liberty Link corn or, or whatever, but at minimum, uh, in my opinion, a, a good pre at minimum in corn is a group 15 herbicide like dual magnum, warrant, outlook, zidua in combination with atrazine. You know, normally we're, you're putting a, a quart to a quart and a half of atrazine pre-emergence in combination with uh, a group 15 herbicide. And, and, you know, one of the most recognizable pre-emergence products is bicep to magnum, and that's just a combination of dual two magnum plus atrazine but there's other pre-mixes out there that have acetochlor plus atrazine so you know there's a lot of options if, if you just want to get a pre-mix product and then for the, the folks that are want to be a little more proactive in terms of pre-emergence products uh, my advice would to think about adding a, a group 27 hppd inhibiting herbicide to that group 15 plus atrazine so you could easily accomplish this with adding something like Balance or Callisto. Uh, there's also many premixes available that have a group 15, atrazine, and also a HPPD inhibiting herbicide. Some of the most recognizable ones of those are probably something like Acuron or, or Lexar. Uh, and then you can, there's some other products that you could just put uh, atrazine with like Resicor, Harness Max, et cetera. So there, there's a lot of options, whether you do them individually and mix them yourselves, or if you want to get them in a, in a pre-mix material. All right. So we're going to get our pre out. 
What's your recommendation as far as coming back post-application uh, if we don't have access to our roundups or if we're just trying to grow it conventionally? Is it a timing with the size of the crop or is it timing with size of the weeds or kind of a combination? So going back to conventional crops or if we don't have access to Roundup and Liberty, timeliness is going to be critical. And, and when we talk about timeliness, it's based off of weed size. And it's going to be different in different situations. Uh, one of the you know, worst case scenarios, if you don't get your pre-emergence product activated, you're going to have to be coming back sooner. So we, we talk about scouting and, and knowing what kind of weeds you have and what size they are, but that becomes even more important with conventional crops or with without access to some of these popular post-emergence products. So really timing is critical. You know, we want to catch the weeds less than four inches. Really the smaller, the better, but they absolutely need to be less than four inches. And then when we look at really what our tactics are for controlling weeds in conventional corn, if we don't, or if we don't have access to Roundup or Liberty, so if we think about grass control, that's probably going to be the hardest battle you face in conventional corn. Our, our next best grass material after Roundup is something that contains nicosulfuron. So probably something like Accent Q or Steadfast Q or Revulin Q, uh, they all have nicosulfuron in it. I will say that you have to be more timely with nicosulfuron to get consistent control than you would with Roundup. So the grasses need to be smaller. Uh, and also the window of application is a lot narrow in corn. So you have to get it on your corn earlier than you would something like Roundup. And then when we move into the broad leaves, again, it's probably simpler in corn than, than something like soybeans uh, or even cotton if you were trying to grow cotton conventionally. But our strategies are, are kind of similar to even our Roundup Ready hybrids. If we have something like pigweed, we're probably going to go to a group 27 HPPD inhibiting herbicide plus atrazine. Then you could do something like safe and dicamba in the form of status and diflex. Those would be good options for broadleaf uh, weed control. Folks ask a lot about 2,4-D and we've traditionally used 2,4-D in corn for, for a long time, but I prefer the safe and dicamba because you have a wider application window and you can use higher rates without much risk to the corn. Whereas with 2,4-D and unsafe and dicamba, you have to pay close attention to corn size and also what rates you're running to avoid some potential injury. And then, you know, there's some other products that we have access to. Some of the PPO inhibitors that we can use in corn would be some broadleaf options. But again, with all of these products, the weeds have to be extremely small to, to get consistent control. Something we've seen a lot in corn in general the last few years is Texas Panicum. So is those herbicide programs we've recommended so far, are they going to be pretty good on that? Or is there something else we need to add in to kind of, if you know you have a problem with Texas Panicum? Well, the nicosulfuron containing products would work good on Texas Panicum, again, if you called it small. But really the problem with Texas Panicum is it comes up late. It comes up throughout the season. So you're looking for a residual option. Unfortunately, the group 15s that we rely upon for a lot of our residual grass activity do not work on Texas Panicum. But our residual option is something you could use in conventional corn, and that's Prow H2O. And we've been looking at that for the last couple of years over the top of corn. And if we can get it activated timely, we've done fairly well uh, with residual, late season residual control of Texas Panicum. It's not perfect, 
but it's a lot better than the other residual options that we have access to. And then also there's some, some of those HPPD residuals have uh, some Texas Panicum activity as well. You might could get one of those HPPDs that has some residual activity on the, the Texas Panicum as well. The other thing that comes up a lot, Jacob, that I hear questions about, um, not only in conventional corn, but in, in Roundup Ready hybrids as well, is the large seeded broadleaves like sickle pod and morning glories. And really, the problem with those weeds is we have very few residual options. Atrazine is about the best option that we have. Those weeds come up throughout the season. And so my best piece of advice for folks that are battling sickle pod or morning glory or some of those large seeded broadleaves is to use more atrazine in your post-emergence application. Because what we're trying to do is prolong that atrazine residual as far into the season as we can. So a lot of times we put a quart and a half of atrazine pre-emergence and we follow it up with a quart. But my advice for folks that are dealing with those large seeded broadleaves is to kind of flip that on its head and use a little bit less atrazine pre-emergence. Um, so a quart of atrazine pre and then use a quart and a half post-emergence to kind of carry that residual control as far into the season as we can. All right. So I guess now let's get to the, the more difficult of the, the two main conventional crops, and that will be soybeans. So, Dr. Irvin, can you talk a little bit about, you know, we've got we're starting off clean you know that's what we want to do and then we're going to come in with a, a pre-emergent and then some post opportunities throughout the season yeah and, and it's a good point everything charlie's been saying on size and uh, timing is applicable across all our crops right so i just want to echo that in case somebody just picks it up here that we need to be spraying these weeds timely especially where we're we're switching up these chemistries as far as a pre-program, especially here in North Carolina, you know, for years we've been relying on a Balor-based pre has done pretty well for us where we have our Palmer amaranth issues. Outside of areas with Palmer amaranth or heavy infestations, we can switch it up a little bit and do some other chemistries, but we're going to continue to rely probably on the Valor-based programs, mix in Metribuzin where we can, uh, the authority products uh, or Spartan-based programs are going to work pretty well also for most of our pigweeds. But overall, when I say based, that means they're going to be including one of our group 15s typically in a mix. So whether that's a premix that includes dual, warrant, or residua, maybe outlook, one of those, they're going to give us most of our grass control, pick up some small seeded broadleaves like the Palmer Amaranth, and then, you know, we count on that Valor, Metribuzin, uh, the Spartan, really, and maybe even Reflex to, to pick up some of our other broadleaves. We have a lot of options pre, you know, there and a lot of good options that are still giving us a strong foundation on our, our pigweed issues. As far as moving into the season, you know, once we get into the post-emergence programs, early posts, this is where things start getting tricky, right? <laughs> if we're talking about losing Roundup or, or Liberty or Dicamba, uh, even 2,4-D on our enlist beans, if we take those out of the mix, the thing I've been saying and the thing we need to really focus on is identification for our weeds. We, we can't just pick a mode of action or a chemical off the shelf and spray it and get the majority of broadleaf weeds. 
We have strong grass materials in soybeans. You know, there's uh, a number of different generics and, and commercial brands, but, you know, just to name them uh, on their original branding would be like a Sure2, Fusillade, Post, and Select or Select Max, and their generics off of them. They're going to give us excellent grass control across the board. So you just pull any of those off the shelf and get control of most of our uh, summer annual grasses. So identifying the grasses isn't going to be as important, but understanding that you'll need to start telling the difference between a grass and a sedge this year, if you're not using glyphosate or Liberty, is going to be very important because we have limited products to kill sedges in soybean. If it's yellow nut sedge, and, and, and this is a good point too, right? It's not just sedges lumped together. There's different responses for our yellow and purple nut sedge. So we need to be able to tell those two apart as well. For yellow nut sedge, you know, we can use Bass Grand. Classic are going to be the best options. You'll get a little bit of control from Pursuit or Raptor synchrony if you have STS beans, but purple nut sedge, we really only have pursuit, maybe synchrony will do all right on it. So knowing which one of those sedges you have and knowing that it's a sedge versus a grass is going to go a long way towards avoiding a large infestation. If we go a year without controlling those sedges, we just say we're going to take care of the grasses and the broadleaves you'll know it next year. You'll see very dense patches and it's going to take some work to clean them up down the road. So what about broadleaf control in crop? Yeah, so broadleaves, again, identification is going to be key. Knowing which weeds we have is going to dictate what herbicides to apply. So make sure you're looking in something like the Ag Chem Manual or another uh, weed control guide where you have the efficacy tables you can see by species which herbicides are gonna be the best. And we're gonna to have to do mixtures or combinations uh, to get control of everything we have in the field. Looking at some of our most challenging you know, weeds or our broadleaf weeds as a whole, palmer amaranth, common ragweed are the ones where we've been fighting resistance in different parts of the state and the region. Without some of our GMO, herbicides. So if we take dicamba, 2,4-D, Liberty out of the mix, we're going back primarily to the PPO inhibitors. So that's going to be your Reflex or Flexstar, Ultra Blazer, Cobra, uh, others similar to that, but those are going to be your top ones. You could try ALS inhibitors on some populations, but a lot of our Palmer amaranth is ALS resistant. So Pursuit, Classic, Harmony, Synchrony, none of those are going to work for you. So keep that in mind uh, when you're trying to decide what to use. I mean, it might look good in the efficacy table because they used to work really well, but what currently works is going to be dictated by current resistant issues. Uh, people always ask about sickle pod and conventional beans. That's always one of the biggest challenges. You want to go with a good pre up front. Valor uh, is going to set you up pretty good, one of those programs. Or Metribuzin, Scepter, those are going to give you some good sickle pod control as well, uh, depending on rate for that Metribuzin. But post-emergence, we're really limited to classic 
and first rate if it's very, very tiny. For both of those, you got to spray them before they get more than uh, two or three compound leaves. And first rate, the smaller, the better for activity. As far as other, other weeds, you know, the products are going to be very dependent. You know, if you're looking through those efficacy tables, some products control a number of weeds or some weeds are controlled by a number of different products. We have options for stuff like cockleburr. You know, we can kill that with a lot of different herbicides still. But prickly cida, for those that were around before Roundup Ready, that was one of our most challenging weeds. We didn't have a lot of options in the conventional bean. And if you take out Roundup or Liberty, uh, even the auxins, you're kind of down to two products that you're going to want to use. It's going to be Bassagran or Cobra. And they're not going to be great if they have any size. So there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching, a lot of trying to get things lined up based off of the weed spectrum, the species we have out in that field. So we might want to control the sickle pod before it starts sticking up above the canopy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Is then, you know, I mean, there is a, a really effective option when it's sticking above the canopy, but we call it wrap around. You take your hand, you wrap it around the stem and you pull it up. And, uh, that works pretty well still. We've had to use quite a bit of that in the past for sure. Can you talk a little bit about uh, morning glory control? Yeah. And morning glories. Early in the season, again, we're going to want those residual products. Uh, we have some okay options, you know, for Morning Glory. They're always going to rear their ugly head and be a challenge. You know, Classic is still going to be pretty good. You know, our PPO inhibitors are going to give us some, you know, good activity, maybe even excellent if they're small. But we're really going to be constrained on size, okay? Now, it's hard to get out there and time them when they're small, but we got to get them before they start running. And when I talk about running, you know, they come up in those first four to six leaves, they're a small little plant. And then that tendril takes off and they start to run along the ground, find a plant to climb up. And once they do that, they become a lot harder to control. And often that's when people are trying to spray them. It's not when they're small. Small morning glories, we, you know, like I said, we, the classics, the Cobra, um, even Blazer or Flexstar are going to do pretty good. Um, Pursuit is going to be, you know, fair to good. It's not going to be great all the time, but you'll, you'll get the little ones just fine. It's as they get size, we're going to struggle. Through the years, probably one of our go-to products as we get later in the season is first rate. That's often been an add-in for our uh, soybean producers that are using Roundup Ready varieties. So first rate would be one uh, to consider putting in and trying to get control of those morning glories early on. Cotton, I don't think there's a lot of cotton being grown conventionally on purpose, but I think this year there's going to be some that's going to be grown conventionally, whether we want to or not. So, uh, Dr. Coon, could you talk about uh, cotton options both pre and then uh, in crop? Yeah, sure. So like you said, there's very little conventional cotton grown in the state, but we may be forced to, to take this strategy if we don't have access to Roundup Liberty 240D dicamba. With cotton, again, this my advice is the same whether we're growing conventional or GMO traded 
cotton. We need to be using two uh, residuals up front. Uh, so there's something like Warrant Reflex or Warrant Direx. You know, even if you, you know, break is, is on the expensive side, but if you had access to, to break and you, you yeah. could make the economics work, you could do something like break and reflex, break and direct. Those would be really good tank mixes, especially where we have pigweed problems. Now, if you have ragweed, uh, Cotteran is, is better on ragweed than direct. So the residual tank mix might look something like reflex and Cotteran or warrant and cotteran for your grass control plus some the cotteran for the reflex and i've also had good activity with breaking cotteran on, on ragweed as well uh, my advice again really doesn't change much we need to be using a, a two products um, residual to kind of get as broad a spectrum residual control as we can and again that'll put less pressure on what we have to do post-emergence and that is really important for cotton because you know you compare cotton corn and soybeans and that canopy takes an extremely long time to close so we're we're dealing with those weeds uh, post-emergence a lot longer than than our other crops and so it's really important paramount to have a really good residual up front as far as grasses like Wes mentioned with all those different grass herbicides you know that group of post and select the graminicides as we call them those are your options for grass control if you don't have access to roundup or liberty and then in broadleaves, man, the toolbox really does shrink when we look at broadleaf weed control in a conventional variety or even if we don't have access to uh, our auxin herbicides in addition to Roundup and Liberty. So if you don't, if you're at the bottom of the toolbox in terms of broadleaf control, you're looking at staple and invoke, you know, those are both ALS herbicides. So their, their weakness is going to be ALS resistant weeds. Staple, you know, we probably use more staple than we did anything prior to Roundup Ready Cotton, and you can put that over the top. Now, Invoke, you can put it over the top, um, but you'll remember if you ever used any Invoke in the past, it can ding up the cotton. So the cotton had to be at minimum five leaf in size. And to be honest with you, even if you were going to use Invoke uh, on five leaf cotton or bigger, I'd rather have you put some drop nozzles on and do what we call sloppy directed versus putting it over the top because it can uh, ding the cotton. And so those are what you're looking at. And then those, you know, they're two ALS and herbicides, but they don't always control the same spectrum of weed. So there are a few subtle differences and I've kind of um, written those down and I'll highlight some of the differences. If, if it's not mentioned here, neither one of them are good on it or both of them are good on it, but here's some of kind of the differences. So staples better on purslane, crotillaria, eclipta, hemp suspania, gypsum weed, red root pigweed, spurtinota. Uh, whereas Invoke would be better on nutsedge, um, yellow nutsedge in particular, ALS susceptible ragweed. If you if you don't have ALS resistant ragweed, Invoke would be a good option. Whereas Staple would not, and Invoke's better on lamb's quarters and also better on sickle pod. So there are some differences there, and there's still again a lot of holes. That's why it's important to have a good residual up front to to kind of minimize the number of weeds that you may be having to deal with because uh, it's just not a perfect system when we get down to some of those uh, products that we used to use in conventional cotton before Roundup Ready technology. Is there anything either one of you think we need to discuss or mention before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, Jacob, but there's something that popped in my head while we were talking and it, it came with some of the herbicides I talked about and then Charlie mentioning in cotton. 
with a lot of these conventional products that we're talking about bringing back into using on maybe more acres than just a specialty use that we would have done in the last 15, 20 years, we got to remember uh, crop rotation intervals can be affected by some of these herbicides. Some good examples are like the Authority products, the Spartan, you know, that can have rotation impacts on several crops that we would grow in the state. Staple is one that jumps straight out, right? If you're rotating and you rotate to other crops besides cotton, gosh, you cannot rotate to grain sorghum at all in the next year. Uh, you're 12 months out to sweet potatoes, stuff like watermelon, tomatoes, uh, most of the veggies you can't, you know, plant for over 12 months. You're 10 months to soybeans and peanuts, uh, most field corn, tobacco. So pay attention, and that's not to pick on staple, but that's just one that, you know, when it first came out, that was something we did a lot of work with. And there's a number of products. We got to watch rotations for different crops the following year because some of these go out 18 months uh, or better on certain crops. And we don't want to get into a situation where we try to fix a problem this year and would create big issues for us in the following years. Now, if that's a decision you, you make this year with the knowledge that, okay, I'm, I'm locked out of this rotation, fine. But don't just grab something off the shelf to kill a weed this year without understanding the potential implications next year as well. Yeah, another thing that I think we kind of skipped over is the value of if you're growing a conventional crop, it would be wise to put that in fields that have less weed pressure, you know, and I, I know that's kind of something that we may not talk about all the time, but it's really good advice. I mean, if you can go to a field that has that, you know, that you've done a good job controlling weeds in the past, it's going to be much easier in a conventional system than going to some land that you just picked up that's been growing up in pigweed, ragweed, sickle pod, and morning glories for the last 10 years. So take that into consideration, the history. I mean, that Wes made a good point about thinking about what's to come, but also think about what's been done in the past. That's a great point. And as both you said, weed ID is always important, but it's, I think, going to be more important we're thinking of having to use a different set of herbicides and there are websites and phone apps that will help you with weed id feel free to call your local extension agent if you've got questions about weed id uh, they'll be happy to come out and help you uh, identify the weeds efficacy tables are very valuable in the nc ag chem manual has very good tables in that manual and you can find that online just if you google nc ag chem manual it'll come right up and you can have that on your phone out in the field if you're trying to make decisions so uh, we certainly appreciate your time today, uh, Dr. Cahoon and Dr. Everman. Thank you Thanks for having, for having us. us on. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And as always, thanks for listening to CropSense. Because if it isn't making money, it isn't making sense.